Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Westman demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. Wes Bubba. Wes Bubba? Oh. Wes Booba? Was it Booba? (laughs) Hans. Booby. I'm your white knight. Booby. Oh my God, I cannot pronounce this. What is wrong with you? We did this before. (laughs) Baba Duke. <laughs> I can't get it. Not Bubby or Booby. Booby. You'd make the worst Jew ever. Um. <laughs> what movie? <laughs> oh, yeah. A movie from 1988 starring Bruce Willis and our Christmas movie for 2022. A Christmas classic. The original Die Hard. And I would follow that up with theme music, except this movie is distinctly lacking in recognizable music. That is not true at all, given our intro music, Christmas and Hollis, by the immortal Run DMC. And what does is, what is Argyle say? This is Christmas music. Why doesn't Die Hard have an <laughs> epic testosterone-fueled score? It has a sneaky, pensive score. Like swells and stuff. Uh, it's to punctuate the action throughout. But there's really only a couple of songs. There's Christmas and Hollis. I may be missing some. And then there's the uh, Stevie Wonder song, Skeletons. It's all Argyle down in the limo. But other than that, it's the score and the (laughs) Christmas songs at the end. Which makes this what makes this movie a Christmas classic, despite what Bruce Willis said, which I think was in jest. He said at the roast of Bruce Willis, the Comedy Central roast, that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. It's a Bruce Willis movie, but I'm going to disagree with him. This is my celebration of the holiday season. You know how Die Hard spawned this sort of genre where moving forward there was they used it in pitches because it's nearly a perfect action movie. Oh, it's this is our movie is Die Hard on a boat or Die Hard on a plane or whatever. Right. So Home Alone was like Die Hard in a suburban house. <laughs> And also a Christmas movie. Right. So Die Hard spawned a subgenre, but is Die Hard basically just a Western? Uh, I suppose, except the confines of Nakatomi Plaza makes it this like cat and mouse in the house kind of thing, mm. uh, as opposed mm-hmm. to, to more sprawling. It's very contained. It's very sneaky. Uh, he pulls some MacGyver stuff. And uh, generally in the black hat, white hat Westerns, the villains are thugs. 
and Hans and company, well, at least Hans is particularly refined. Mm. That's his contradiction, right? That he's a common thief. Yeah, and elevating to kidnapping, so you should be more polite. Alan Rickman's <laughs> first major movie role, if you can believe that. What an amazing character. Is Alan Rickman German? Uh, I, <laughs> I think he's just British. But I don't know that any of them were German. There were some nines, like discernible nine, right? Lots of nine and schnells, lots right. of schnells. And weiter, weiter, weiter. But there, I'm telling you, I read somewhere, and I'm not sure how substantiated it is not being Eastern European myself, but this might have been one of the last movies where they make up a gibberish Eastern European language to yell at each other. No. I don't think it was real. I read that somewhere. No. I'm, I'm, 95% certain. I'm not saying all of it wasn't real, but there were times where they were yelling at each other and it meant nothing. Isn't Germany in the West? Isn't Germany in Western Europe? I'm going by what McLean said. Eastern European, mostly Eastern European based on their clothing and choice of clothing and cigarettes. Why the long pause before cigarettes? Because, oh, because, I mean, this thing was punctuated with moments like that, like seemingly real moments, because he looks over his shoulder like he hears something, raises the gun a little bit. There were good touches in moments like that. Stopping down for his him being funny. Good moments. He's cramming through the uh, the air duct, saying he feels knows what a TV dinner feels like now. <laughs> Lights the uh, lighter and, and mutters the iconic line, come on to the coast, we're good together, have a few laughs. <laughs> it felt like it wasn't rushed and it wasn't dumb. There's a lot of great John like chiding himself or like, yep. oh my, a lot of great oh my gods that were just put like placed exactly where I would have said them. <laughs> and that's the point, I think. Uh, not the typical Stallone Schwarzenegger. John McClane, I think his uniqueness is that he is presumably an everyman or at least an American cop who's got skills, but who who doesn't charge headlong into the situation. He's much mm -mm. more secretive and subversive in his mm -hmm. attempt to thwart the terrorists that he, if he had the opportunity, he would be out of that building so fast. I feel like I've seen Die Hard in an alternate universe because I was waiting for two moments that never happened in this movie. Oh, man. This, I, it's like a Shazam level, like this happened, right? But it never happened. Does, does Bruce Willis not tape up his feet at some point? And also, I thought they rode away in a golf cart. Why, is, why am <laughs> what, I having these visions? What is happening? Why would they ride away in a golf cart? <laughs> a golf cart? I could see why, should he find a roll of tape lying around the construction site, he would do that. But uh, no. As a matter of fact, now I'm wondering if he tapes his feet up because he learns his lesson in one of the sequels, but I don't think so. Because as the Die Hard franchise goes on, I've seen them less and less. I see. I, I thought when he saw the, the Christmas tape or the packing tape that that's what he was going to do. And I was like, ah, finally it happens. But then he just taped the gun to his back. Uh, maybe he taped up his foot. He, he was definitely limping, but he must have wrapped it up or something because it was ble bleeding pretty profusely. Right. <laughs> As he drags himself along the, into the bathroom. Right. Is Die Hard also kind of a bromance? A little bit. It's a telebromance on a party line though, where everyone's listening in because they're like doing the thing and he's like, you know, tell my wife, blah, 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 I'm sorry. And, and you know, how many kids you got, Al and stuff. And, and then Hans is like touching cowboy. <laughs> 
Is that your Alan Rickman? No, I, I had it a little bit earlier, but I can't. It's it's hard because it's like it's kind of nasal, but also has he has almost like a, a British drawl. Like no. <laughs> pretty good whenever i try and do alan rickman which is rare it always comes out severus snape yeah beloved by then and by then he looks old and silly to me the the robe and the 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 slinky hair and the jowls or whatever don't belie his glorious hans gruber sheriff of nottingham face yeah oh right man alan rickman just a string of bad guys does he ever play not a bad guy yeah, of course, and love actually and stuff, and he's lovable. We love Alan Rickman. I love Alan Rickman. But this movie, he is in the company of the best bad dudes of the 80s, period. <laughs> so As glorious. Hans Gruber? As Hans Gruber, he stands with company that's just unmatched. Paul Gleason, who plays Dwayne T. Robinson, the chief of police, of course, the bad guy from The Breakfast Club. William Atherton, who plays Thornburg, the news reporter, the detestable news reporter, was oh. the, uh, the the official, the government, the city official in Ghostbusters. Oh, my God. He was the best. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And, that, and Alan Rickman. And then we come to one of my favorites that you may not know is Al Long as Uli, the ever-present bald Asian henchman bad guy. <laughs> the one who eats the heart, the Hershey bar? Yeah, exactly. Come on. The Johnson and Johnsons, the FBI dudes, which hilariously are credited as Big Johnson and Little Johnson. <laughs> Ro- Big Johnson is Robert Davi of, of opera singing Goonies fame. Oh, man. There's a lot of bad... So not only are these all iconic bad guys in their own right, but they're all in one movie. And a lot of these characters represent good guys. Like, aren't the FBI and the LAPD supposed to be good guys? Why are they all against John McClane? Is it just, like, to make it an underdog story? Yeah, aside from 80s convention, for sure, this had something to say about authority and and procedure and things like that. Because he's a rebel. He's uh, not Beverly Hills cop. Where is he? Century City cop. Fish out of water. Well, the LAPD, but yeah. It's totally a fish out of water, and they hit that note a couple times. There is a um, obligatory tight butt pant wearing blonde in the airport. And then and then the dude kisses him, which I guess is supposed to be like a West Coast gay reference or something. You know, a weird thing. Uh, I, this is one of the Goose's favorites. He and I bonded over this. And I think that the Goose thinks that this is, you know, come out to the coast, get together, have a few laughs. And every time that John McClane is affronted or is, is like, what the hell? He's like, California. Right. And I think that this is what a lot of people who not from California, this is their conception. It's all like like dudes kissing you on the face and the crazy jumping in the air, like tight pants wearing, as you put it, blonde and like coke sniffing Jews and stuff and and all aggressive (laughs) Japanese businessmen and stuff. Being from California and having lived here, uh, I don't, I don't know what people think. But then, and then we have the the bad guy, absolutely unique to Die Hard that we never saw again, and that's Alexander Gudinov, who plays Carl, who is the the tall blonde, pants wearing blonde that I thought you were talking about. <laughs> Who's on a vengeance mission? Yep, Carl's like the he... coolest Eastern European bad guy ever. Uh, yeah, and he has his, his moment, that little button at the end where he comes out all zombie-like. Right, and takes the longest <laughs> to draw a gun ever. 
<laughs> right. There were two action movie moments that made me sigh and shrug. One, when Carl has uh, John McClane machine gun to the face. Like, yep. I don't know why you just you don't just off him. Why, why yeah. do you have to make it ceremonious? And then also when John has Hans. Oh, who took every opportunity to shoot bad guys. Maybe in a Han Solo sense, for the most part, they shot at him first. But mm. still, he had Hans dead to rights. And when the elevator door opens and he says, and you were saying, and he has like plenty of time, should have taken out Hans right then and there. Right. Man, I was just thinking we lost so many, a surprising amount of people from Die Hard. I would like to dedicate this episode to one Clarence Gilliard Jr. who played Theo. Boom! Two points. Please have themselves an RV. Theo the, um, the hacker. That guy? The nerdy guy? Just recently passed away. Oh, he just passed away? That's so sad. So we lost Hans. We lost Paul Gleason, Dwayne, Deputy Chief Dwayne T. Robinson lost Takagi quite a while ago. And then probably the saddest story, Alexander Gudinoff, who was typecast as the blonde baddie after Die Hard, kind of had a sad end. He like ended up dying uh, unceremoniously in like a West Hollywood tiny apartment after mm. uh, at only age 45. God, that's sad. <laughs> yeah. Die Hard. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Da, 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 da. The holiday season is a time to reflect and a time to remember. And at least we still have Argyle. Yep. And though he's no longer acting, we have Bruce Willis. In for me, his iconic role. Maybe Armageddon, but... What about as the Palooka? Palooka in Pulp Fiction? Sure, yeah. But I, I don't know. I mean, it seems absurd to say being only six years later, but that feels like older Bruce Willis to me. <laughs> that sounds ridiculous coming out of my mouth. <laughs> did you know that, because we were in Croatia, did you know that in Eastern Europe or Southern Europe or whatever the case may be, uh, he endorses a an energy drink called Hell? Called Hell? Yeah, <laughs> Bruce Willis is the face of, of hell. That there's this, the cardboard standee filled with cans, and he's like all bald and doing that Bruce Willis smirk. <laughs> I'm not, I don't think we brought a can back, but we definitely tried hell because it's like Bruce Willis hell white grape. That's <laughs> and wait, is his face on the can too? Uh, I don't <laughs> I don't think it was on the can, but he was definitely the celebrity spokesperson. No way. He's like every time is hell time. And they, like, take a sip of hell. <laughs> that was the reference to Bill Murray in Lost in Translation of for celebrity overseas endorsements that we're never meant to yes. see. <laughs> exactly. That's what they all do. They all go overseas to make bank endorsing Suntory time. And See? Right. But with the prevalence of worldwide internet, it makes it much harder to be secret about it now. So, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger's ramen <laughs> commercials are on the internet. <laughs> Energy. Taste. Power. That could be the um, the tagline for Die Hard. Yeah, which was originally titled Nothing Lasts Forever. Really? A Roderick Thorpe novel. So the novel, there was another movie, forgive me if I don't recall the name of it, but this character from Roderick Thorpe, which was not John McClane, I can't remember his name, was played originally by Frank Sinatra. And contractually, as sequels go, Frank Sinatra had first dibs for the Die Hard role. So they were like, hey, we're going to make that Roderick Thorpe follow-up movie. You want to be in it? And he was like, nah, I'm 73. I'm going to pass. And so they offered <laughs> it to him as courtesy, knowing that he probably wouldn't take this action-heavy movie. So they were like, who do we get? 
can't get Schwarzenegger, can't get Stallone. And someone said, how about that dude from Moonlighting? And they were like, come on, that's ridiculous. The unlikely everyman action hero that is John McClane, people were like laughing during the trailers. So much so that Fox pulled all images of his face from the marketing. It was like the building with the spotlights on it and stuff. Because he was a comedy sitcom actor. Right. And Die Hard had almost no prospects. It's like the sling blade of action movies where no one really expected it to go. It's weird. It was like the Casablanca of action movies in that Casablanca was just churned out as one of the studio's pictures of the week. They made 50 movies a year, the studio systems back in the day. It was just another one that for some reason stuck and everybody remembers. The best. So Die Hard was the, the sleeper hit of 1988, massive hit, and a career launcher for Bruce Willis also critically acclaimed and nominated for four Academy Awards. Yeah, for what? You know, technical awards like sound and editing, visual effects. It was really good visual effects, considering the fact that they kind of, it looked like they blew up Fox Tower in Culver City. Yeah, they blew up a lot. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, that building was brand new. They were like, we need a building. And they're like, Fox is like, we have a building. And so it was real floors under construction. There were some working offices and they weren't very happy about all the gunfire and stuff like that. But they could do whatever they want in their own building, except that it was in the middle of one of the most affluent like business areas in all of Los Angeles. And so they yeah. pyrotechnics and stuff. And I'm pretty sure they didn't blow out the bottom floor. Or they did destroy the building, another building. It was like in miniature or a model set of the top, uh, you know, the very top of the building. They blew up the elevator well. They blew up helicopters. They blew up armored vehicles. A lot of amazing set pieces. John McClane, death-defying stunts. But an interesting choice to choose Bruce Willis. I guess people, you know, laughed at the idea of him being an action hero. But maybe having someone with good comic timing and who's just so lovable was the key to making Die Hard what it is. Chris Pratt is like the Bruce Willis of like the aughts <laughs> and the 10s and the 20s because like, you know, he's just lovable and he's funny. And now he's stepped into this leading man action role. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, he's got a weird like Ricky Ricardo chest and it's kind of hairy. And, uh, <laughs> and he spends a lot of the movie looking really gross and sweaty. But I guess <laughs> right. people like that, man. That wife beater takes a beating. The, sh- the shirt, whatever we, we're calling the it. The undershirt. Right? But did you notice that that thing completely changes colors? Like he kills uh, Carl's brother and uh, he gets some blood on it and progressively more blood on it. But that thing is like fully maroon by the end. It's like a different shirt. It starts like all gleaming white and clean. Right. And he's like, he's like washing his underarms in the office bathroom. And then by the end, it's like brown. Not like it's really, really stained, so it looks brown. But I tried to watch to see, like, did he take some undershirt off of some other dude or whatever? Because that thing is really, really, like, to the seams, like, like brown or reddish. But then at the end, it's just missing. It's just gone. That's what you got to do. You got to be bare-chested. You can't trust that the holiday tape would stick to the bloody T-shirt. You take off the shirt and you wrap it up. You wrap your feet up with it. You don't run around. You know, honestly, I think that might have been what he did. I feel like when he was limping, his foot was all taped up at the very end. Oh, and that's where the shirt went? Yeah. They just don't make a big deal out of it. So Die Hard was a pre-9-11 movie. But when he blew out the bottom floor of the building, why did he do that? (laughs) So he's all pissed off that Hans 
insisted on blowing up the RV, as Theo called it, again, instead of letting them pull back. So he takes the C4 that he has at hand, says, screw it, plugs, like, so the whole C4 will detonate it, throws the chair down the elevator shaft, which blows the hell up and destroys the building. Why? Well, it certainly makes a big statement. Was that before Hans and team knew that he had the detonators? So that must have been it. He used all the detonators so that Hans wouldn't be able to use them, but he used them on the building, basically imperiling everyone that Hans was threatening to kill. Well, everyone, he knew that everyone was on the 30th floor. I don't know how he could have known that that wouldn't completely cripple the building and send it tumbling to the ground. Um, but I think in desperation, he was trying to send messages to the LAPD. He throws bodies. He sends machine gun fire on the roof. <laughs> they think he's a terrorist because he's firing in the air willy-nilly. Right. I think it clearly demonstrates that he's an everyman, but he's desperate and using whatever resources he has at his disposal, John McClane, that is. But he wasn't a white hat cowboy. He was kind of in the middle because he was, you know, so reckless and, uh, and kind of swearing and threatening to cook and eat Carl. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think about this this ultra feminist theory that Die Hard is misogynistic? Mm. Because Holly Gennaro, he's all pissed off about that. It, it's a real blow to his to his ego. You know, you are a married woman. You're you're married to me, Holly, and all this stuff. And he disapproves of her taking the big job. And in his moment of of desperation and despair, he asks Powell, "Hey." Pass the message on to my wife. She's heard me say I love you a thousand times, but she's never heard me say I'm sorry. The big job came and I was wrong. Mm -hmm. But then he survives. So Al never tells her that. And he never tells Holly I'm sorry at the end of the movie. And presumably she caused all this mess by choosing to take this job and getting hijacked by terrorists and stuff. <laughs> and the only way that John can defeat the terrorists and save his wife is by taking off the Rolex. That's a representation mm. of her success and independence and letting Hans fall to his death. What do you mm. think about that? Well, it's a very John McClane centered film and the watch is like his final. Yeah. The watch is symbolic of him winning because it was presented as being injurious to him that that ostensibly is not something that he could provide for his wife as a blue collar type, you know, beat walking New York City cop. Um, and so it, I guess it so in the sense that it's all about him and that's symbolic for him. It makes sense in the John McClane universe in the sequels. Are, is she still, you know, high powered businesswoman or and are they still together? Because this is like definitely a trauma surviving kind of romance that they have in the limo at the end. They're more together in Die Hard 2. She's completely absent by Die Hard 3. They write it off as her being, you know, some miscommunication or whatever, and we're not speaking or something. They're estranged again. Okay. Sorry, Bonnie Bedelia, your big role or whatever kind of tapered off. I mean, this, is this conversation mis misogynist that we didn't talk at all about Bonnie Bedelia, but we talked about the tight butt blonde? <laughs> as you said, if Die Hard is a very John McClane-centric movie. Yes. And it's fine. But there there are deeper themes, I think, that didn't make it just the atypical action movie in that there was a real connection, like a personal family connection, whereas Rambo or, or uh, Schwarzenegger and any of his commando incarnations would have 
charged through, decimating everybody. He had to be careful and uh, mm. was fiercely, you know, protective of his wife and and Ellis. You shouldn't be doing this. And what have you told them, Ellis? Like compromising his mm. wife. He knows that she's mm -hmm. present, immediately right. present, closer to Hans than he is, and he's got to be careful. Right. Even though the children are used as tools. Wasn't it, it was probably illegal for him to go and interview them on television, not to mention compromising. Yeah, but I but wait, I didn't know that as a kid. Yeah, he's like, you let me in right now or I'll call INS. And I was like, who's INS? Oh, man. Also now known as ICE, right? Yeah, I didn't know what was happening, though, a lot of the time in this movie as a kid. Or at least what they were talking about. <laughs> Although it dates pretty badly now. Argyle's all proud. He's like, full bar, VHS in this mother, and like in the limo. <laughs> The gas is like 77 cents. And then McLean comes in and he's like, Holly McLean, he's like, just type it in the thing. <laughs> he's like, cute toy. If you walked into any building right now and they were like, please type the name in this touchscreen system. You're like, what is this archaic shit? Uh, it takes, it goes beep, beep every time you press a letter. That was high tech because that was a sophisticated yeah. world-class office right? building. I'm not even sure it was real. I think they might have cheated the computer interface to make it look like it reacts to his touch, but it was so far advanced at the time. That's so funny. I mean, it serves a story purpose, right? Because right off the bat, he's like getting all the signals and the jabs. Yeah, it's, that it's he's good. He's not welcomed here. It wasn't a lot of exposition on that front, but it was like they're bickering. It wasn't recounting or it wasn't telling the audience what the fights were about. It just led to their obvious miscommunication and distance estrangement. Oh, it was great. It was great when they're in the bathroom and she's like having a sweet moment with him and she's like, I missed you. Yep. And then he immediately just twists it. Didn't miss my name. Right, exactly. And then it's just all out. Like they just, you know, they just start fighting. You could tell they're just slipping back into old patterns. And then he ch chides himself afterward. And like the lovebirds will like burst into the room while they're having a fight. Right. And signature Bruce Willis, like he's like, hi. <laughs> like all annoyed and passive aggressive uh good moments i don't know man diehard unconventional action movie certainly non-traditional holiday christmas movie or whatever but i don't know one that that i embraced its classic status as i got a little bit older like pulp fiction like goodfellas like apocalypse now it wasn't built in i had to learn to appreciate this movie but there's so much to appreciate uh, even if it's not quite for maybe it's not a miracle on 31st Street, 30, 40, 30, 30, 40, a miracle on that, a miracle on Elm Street. <laughs> and it has some good Christmassy type themes of forgiveness, of family. Of make sure the dead guy that was hanging by the neck is actually dead. <laughs> That's gruesome. And my favorite life lesson also in uh, present in The Rock is you must never hesitate. If you have a chance to kill someone, don't hesitate. And he's like, thanks for the advice. And uh, Hans follows that that too when he uh, he stops playing games with Takagi. Poor Takagi. He just had to make an example out of him. Hmm? And he just killed Alice just for the fun of it because he was annoyed. Yeah, I, I honestly wasn't sure he killed him. We just heard the gunshot because it was so, Takagi's death was so visceral. I would have thought we would, somebody, somebody in the audience would have, re would have relished the thought of, of seeing Ellis with one between the eyes. <laughs> but no, this movie yeah. showed restraint. Yeah, I think that he's like falling off in the foreground in, a, in another Hans Gruber shot where you can just like see that like the corpse is still occupying the same chair and Hans, <laughs> you know, doesn't pay no mind. 
but yeah, sure. Some some restraint, which which maybe counterbalances some of the crazy heroics that John McClane is able to pull off in this. I'm going with a totally, man. I mean, for a holiday totally, all things considered, I've seen Die Hard a number of times. It wasn't as much a part of my childhood as, as pretty much all the other 80s action movies. Like I said, I embraced it a little bit late, but it is such a part, a cultural, a part of uh, pop culture and Christmas pop culture and action pop culture. And really, if you're looking like, why is Bruce Willis a movie star? Uh, this is the answer. Um, yeah, very realistic, very grounded, even if a touch misogynistic <laughs> main character. I love when he he himself is just like noting how crazy something he's doing is. I love it when he goes like crazy on the 911 dispatch. <laughs> Look like I'm ordering, sound like I'm ordering a pizza. Ah, <laughs> oh, what this movie lacks in a recognizable music cue it makes up for in quotes and the best and worst misuse or misappropriation of the best diehard quote was said by my peloton instructor was yippee kaye happy holiday on paper it's these it's it's amongst the worst lines in movies like i'll be back is a stupid catchphrase yippee kaye is even worse <laughs> maybe the worst Best Christmas movie, worst catchphrase. But eminently quotable, and that's our discussion on Die Hard. 1988, if you enjoyed this episode, please let us know. 818-835-0473 or whatevermovies at gmail.com or whatevermovies.com or wherever you get podcasts. We love to hear from you. We hope you enjoyed this. And yippee-ki-yay, happy holidays. Yep, that one. From Wes and Iris at Or Whatever Movies. We'll see you next year. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that the No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. Touchdown! On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric acid.